Today's scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 45. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and lose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God beside me. I will gird you, though you may not have known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited, I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain, I the Lord speak righteousness, I declare things are right. This is the word of the Lord. So what Vicki was saying about Holy Week, let me uh, expound on that a little bit. I met with uh, Jeannie and Jonathan from St. Paul's Episcopal this week, as well as Rob uh, from First Baptist Peoria, and we were, I was sharing with them that we want to do a Holy Saturday service this year, uh, or an Easter vigil. You know that I am deeply embedded as a Southern Baptist, so I had no idea what that was, but some people had come to me and said, hey, can we try this this year, and it involves a bonfire or lighting of things, and I was like, that sounds like fun. Let's do that. So Jonathan and Jenny do this at their church every year. It is part of the liturgical tradition in the Episcopal Church. And she was giving me some ideas, things we could do. And we left the lunch. And later on that afternoon, she sends me an email. And she says, look, I don't want to sound like I'm encroaching, but why don't you just join us in service on that night? And we'll just, it'll be an Imago and St. Paul's Episcopal Easter Vigil that night. And I was like, that sounds even better. <laughs> So in the process of that, Seth from Reachway Church uh, had this kind of a similar conversation with Jeannie, and she said, this is going to be a St. Paul's Episcopal, Imago Day in Reachway Church joint service. And so that's so exciting. I love doing joint services. It's one of the things I've missed about coming up here because we did them a lot in the South, uh, and I, don't, I haven't been able to be a part of it up here, and I'm excited about it. So I hope that you will be a part of that as well. I also want to let you know that we have hired someone in the church organizer position, and we're so excited about that. I'm going to be asking him to send us a bio on him and his family, and hopefully we can present that to you next week with who this is and his family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He probably won't be starting full-time till the summer. He lives four hours from here, and he has a child that he needs to get through kindergarten. You understand that. And, uh, but we are so excited and so glad that Jacob Kirsch will be a part of our congregation and our church organizer. Yay! 
I have to share this story real quick. It has nothing to do with the sermon. Nothing. Um, last week we talked a little bit about Potiphar's wife and the and all the nastiness and awfulness that that story was. And so when this happened to me on Tuesday, I thought, I have to share this with y'all. So the police chief uh, for Peoria PD has been inviting the clergy in the area to meet with him once a month on Tuesdays. And we discuss ways that clergy can be involved in the community. Um, and he gives us updates on what's going on in the communities and et cetera. It's been very fruitful for me to be there to meet other pastors uh, and priests and uh, it's been really good. And so this past week, well, back in the end of 2022, we had a, a man to come and speak to the clergy. He works at the Youth Juvenile Detention Center. And he was asking clergy to kind of step up and, and maybe uh, spend some time out at the Juvenile Detention Center to help some of these kids. Uh, they don't typically have parents or family that can visit them. And uh, so he was inviting us to be a part of this opportunity. So this past Tuesday, rather than meeting at the police department, he asked us to meet him at the juvenile detention center. So we went, and they gave us a tour, and we got to see some things and meet some people. There were about 40 clergy there. And there was a guy, an older man, that walked up to me to introduce himself to me, and, and I was telling him who I was, and he told me who he was. And he was telling a story of how he was speaking to a, a woman he'd never met before, and she was giving him a little bit of an attitude. And he was saying that I don't lead with the reverend in my title with people. I leave that out so it won't, people, won't make people feel weird. So with this woman, she was being awkward and a little bit snippy with him. So he, he said, well, I'm a pastor. And he said she immediately lit up and her whole attitude changed. And then she got really nice and, and all that good stuff. And I said, wow, that's pretty amazing that that happened, especially in the day and age of being clergy right now because... You know, I told him, I said, I'm a Southern Baptist and, and, uh, from long ago, and with all the things that are going on with that, with the sexual assaults being swept under the rug, and it's just awful. He looked me in the face and said, wait for it. Well, there but for the grace of God go I. I was speechless. I said, I wanted to say, remind me to never be alone in a room with you. There's a lot wrong with that statement, right? And it has haunted me all week long. It's bothered me all week long that he thought that's what he should say. Anyway, like I said, it has nothing to do with the sermon. I just needed you to know that. I needed you to share that with me for just a second. So before we dive into this text this morning, we have to chase a rabbit for a little bit. Now look, I love to chase rabbits. And I know as a general rule, people don't like it when you chase rabbits, but you're my captive audience. So you don't have a choice. You have to listen to me chase this rabbit. The scripture starts out talking about King Cyrus. The entire passage in Isaiah 55 is about this guy named King Cyrus. So who the heck is King Cyrus? That's what you start with, right? When you're looking at a text, who is God speaking to? Who is being spoken to? Who's doing the speaking? Well, it's King Cyrus. 
So we need to talk about King Cyrus a little bit. I like, Camilla, that you said that you stay because of difficult conversations, because this is about to be one of them. And I'm going to sit <laughs> in case it gets a little warm in the room. So King Cyrus was a Persian. He was king over the empire that we know today, the land that we know today is present-day Iran. He was a Persian emperor. And he drove out the Babylonians, as well as other people, and he set the Jewish people free to go back and rebuild their temple. This is the King Cyrus that we read about in Ezra and Nehemiah. That's the king that sent those people back at that time, at the end of the Babylonian captivity, and said, go rebuild your temple. And so they leave. He set them free. Good king, right? He was a good king, but he was not a Jewish person. He was Persian. Not only was he not in the same uh, religious tradition as the Jewish people, he never became a part of that religious tradition. So God is talking to a king that has no affiliation with the Jewish people, and he tells this king, hey, you're going to do good, and I'm going to see to it. You're going to do some good things for me and my name. So what the scriptures also tell us about King Cyrus is that not only did King Cyrus, once he took over, did he send the Jew allow the Jewish people to go back to their homeland and rebuild their temple, he did that for other nations as well, other tribes and ethnicities as well. He said, hey, you can go back and do your thing too. Build your cultic uh, uh, statues and, and all this thing. He sent them back. He let all of them go home because he didn't believe in keeping them captive anymore. So it wasn't just a Jewish thing. And I want you to keep that in mind because it's important as I get to the end of this little uh, spiel about King Cyrus. Now, he ruled for 30 years, and he was a good ruler. He's also considered a pagan or even a Gentile king. Yet God commissions him for service by anointing him. Cyrus is not a follower of Jehovah God, nor does he ever become one. God will work through Cyrus as he is. No conversion story. God's going to do a new thing. He will use a pagan king to deliver his people. A modern-day evangelical preacher, Lance Wellnall, says, Cyrus is the model for a non-believer appointed by God. Let me say that again. Cyrus is the model for a non-believer appointed by God as a vessel for the purposes of the faithful. He goes on to say he was an ancient Persian king chosen by God to navigate in chaos. The reason that I wanted us to take a look at King Cyrus and the reason why this could be a difficult conversation is some of our fellow Americans have co-opted the story of King Cyrus to make the case that even if our political leaders are rascals, non-believers, less than ethical, and so forth, they are still to be considered anointed by God. They can still be used by God for good ends. And some of, our, some of us Americans, because of the story of King Cyrus, 
we have equated resistance to the king or the governor or the president. That is tantamount to resistance against God. This is God's anointed. Touch not God's anointed. How many of you grew up with being taught that? Right? How many of you grew up that, that raised your hand were told that that, is, that applies to the pastor or the priest in your congregation? Yeah. You don't criticize. That's God's anointed. Touch not God's anointed. We don't do that. Some will say of a president, let's say, he or she's a King Cyrus. Sure, maybe she's not the most savory person on the planet. Maybe her character is a bit questionable. But God has anointed her. God will use her to accomplish God's purposes. To speak against God's anointed is to speak against God. Is anybody else aware of this phenomenon in our country right now? Right? I'm not, I'm not choosing sides on this, okay? I'm just not. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm sharing this with you because I wish to God somebody had shared some of this with me when I was in my 20s and 30s so I could know better and do better and make better choices about some of the choices I made. The real King Cyrus, he didn't just set all the Israelites free, remember? He set all the nations that were in captivity free. He wasn't just all in the tank for the Israelites. He wasn't just all in the tank for the Americans and the Americans only. This real King Cyrus purposefully dismantled the brutal, the brutal policies that his predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, had set up against the Jewish people and others. The Jewish people were a minority group. If any American president comes into office who claims atheism, or better yet, a Muslim, and that president immediately goes to work when he or she takes office on systematically dismantling systems of oppression and discrimination that haunt America's minority groups, I mean just puts it out there and then gets it done, you know what? I might be the one to say resistance to this president is against God. I might say God has anointed this woman, this man, to be our president. But until that happens, my friends, no president, pastor, priest, you name it, in authority, gets that honor. Nobody, not me, nobody. <laughs> I had someone say to me a few months ago that they were not particularly crazy about it when I got political in the pulpit. They don't like hearing about politics from the preacher. First of all, I don't do it that much. 
But in other words, if I look up the diction, the politics, it comes from a Greek word, apolis. It's the science. I, I read this from uh, the Boston Repertory, November 1806. I love how they define politics. It's the science of good sense applied to public affairs, and as those are forever changing, what is wisdom today would be folly and perhaps ruin tomorrow. It cannot have fixed principles from which a wise man would never swerve unless the inconstancy of man's view of interest and the capriciousness of the tempers could be fixed. What is it you tell me about the Constitution? That it's not a fixed document. Oh, of course. Yeah, no constitution is fixed. It's society's change. My husband's a political science professor, uh, so I, I defer to him in these matters, except for this definition. I really like it. You should use it. <laughs> Politics is the science of good sense. Y'all, that's everything we do. That's eating, breathing, working, sleeping. It's everything. Everything is political. We are in trouble in so many ways because the truth about the science of good sense has not been taught from the pulpit. Would to God that somebody had told me 20 years ago that the story of King Cyrus, it doesn't apply to our American president. But I was never taught that. So I'm teaching it now when I'm 50. Hopefully, if there's someone in the room that's never heard that before, now you have. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. But I hope that you and I could work through together what it means to be a follower of Jesus, walking on this narrow path together, participating in the science of good sense outside of Sunday worship service. Everything is political. Everything is. So now, I'm going to go back to the sermon. Now that you know who King Cyrus is. It's one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of, hidden riches of secret places that, may, that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name and the God of Israel... This is my, oh, but yeah, this is my, my box of journals. I have one in here. It's all, it's coming all apart. This is from 1991. It's a Hello Kitty one. It had a little lock thing on it, you know, that you could do, right? It's all about my boyfriend at the time, working, exams, blah, blah, blah. There are so many paths of darkness in those journals. Not only mine, but for people and friends that I have loved along the way. My children are in those journals. Begging God to come through, to heal, to mend, to love. To forgive, begging God to show me how to heal, to mend, to love, to forgive, begging God to put my broken pieces back together again, begging God for a little hope, a little light, a little encouragement, 
begging God to pay our light bill, to help us buy groceries, to fix my marriage, to help me know what to say to one of my children who has been hurt, how to help them heal, mend, love, and forgive. I wrote down where God came through when someone left groceries on our, front ste- on our doorstep. Someone put four brand new tires on our van. Someone sent me an encouraging note in the mail and they had no idea that I was drowning inside my home. I wrote down when my babies were sick. I wrote down when their fevers broke. I wrote down when the crisis had died down. I wrote down when someone had brought mending, some healing to my life. A book through someone, a sermon, a song. Whenever I had the opportunity to spend with my friends and we could just laugh at the stupidest things, those are all in there. (laughs) I wrote down the names of my children's bullies and what I would imagine saying to them if I ever run across them and thanking God for the two opportunities that I did have and I did quite proud of those moments. Thank you very much. I'm not confrontational, but don't you mess with my kids. I wrote down how I felt so helpless and not being able to forgive and how God broke through and showed me how. I wrote down when God shone light on the dark path for me and my fears when he didn't. In this journal from October the 8th, oh, it's up here. Of course, I left it over here. I wrote down on October 8th, 2015. The ditch is long and deep. The ground is broken, and there are not many flowers to see. Lord, help me see and enjoy the flowers. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. Been wondering why the lilies are up here? The treasures in dark places. The flowers along the path. Jeannie Simmons speaks of feeling lost when we are on a dark path. We can't see the next step. It's scary. It's painful. Jeannie says, lean into the lostness. Don't find your way out too soon. There are riches hidden in secret places. Stay. Find them. Be lost. I would say that's easy to say if you're not on that path right now, right? I don't want to stay. Get me out of here. But it doesn't work like that. Sometimes that cup does not get passed from us. Sometimes the light just does not fully come on for a while. So if we're there and we're not getting out of it anytime soon, what if we leaned into that lostness for just a minute? What good does it curse God and die? (laughs) What good does it do to become a bitter complainer and feel sorry for ourselves? Those things will feel good in the moment. I know because I do them every time. 
but they don't make things automatically better. So while we're there, let's lean into that lostness. Lean into the dark. Look for the riches hidden in secret places. Look for the treasures in darkness. I promise you they are there. When I was younger and times got dark, I don't think I saw treasures along the way. All I saw was fear and uncertainty. How are we getting out of this? How is this going to get fixed? What's, I, I didn't see the flowers along the way. I didn't think they could be there. It was too dark. I couldn't have seen the lilies no matter what you paid me. When I finally made it to the light, I could look back and be like, oh, that's right. That happened there and that happened here. But when you're going through it, sometimes we don't see it. I think some experience in walking with God, as haphazard as I do most days, has taught me to look for the lilies along the way. Treasures in darkness. A hug at church. Seeing a sweet mama and her babies at the grocery store gets me every time. Finding an old picture. An unexpected phone call from a friend. The kind word, my heavens, friends. Never underestimate the power of a kind word. I know that's a slogan and we see it on t-shirts, but it's the truth as sure as I know it. A restful night with sweet dreams. <laughs> Holding hands with someone you love. A squeeze at just the right time. A book, a song, a poem, a fine wine, quality mashed potatoes. Thank you, thank you. Tillamook ice cream. Ugh, best ice cream on the planet. You need to get some. A good hair day. Meeting an unsheltered person and connecting with them. Kneeling down to a child and asking them how they're doing and then listening to their answer. Having someone ask you how you're doing and then they listen to you. And they're not put out by all your bull hockey. <laughs> Treasures, riches, lilies. They're there. Look for them.